I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show turn down just a just a just a scotch just a little tick, just a little ticky boo as they say <laughs> do they say that somebody probably does okay uh are we recording already Yes. Oh, good. (laughs) So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we are so glad that you're joining us. It's here. In the Zoom damn library. The spooky Zoom damn library. Yeah, neither of us are dressed up or anything. I have a candle going. That's true. That um, adds to some spook. Oh, I should have brought it upstairs. There's a candle downstairs in a glass skull. You're in your new house. Yes, I am. And um, how are the measurements? Have you been measuring all of the Diligently. Floors? Yeah. There is, I mean, depending on where you stand in the room that will eventually be my office, there is a creepy door. Because if you just walk in, it looks like that's where the house should end. Like there's a window and then there's a little tiny door. It's like a, it's not even a half door. It's like a quarter door. It's, it's very spooky. So yeah, I keep the tape measure in every room just in case. <laughs> we're, um, we're making reference to the book that we're focusing this episode on, which is House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. Yes. It's sort of, we're kind of doing a backlist episode in honor of um, both of us being catastrophically wrong about our Super Rooster predictions. Oh yeah, we're, we're definitely incorrect. Um, and so we, we are choosing this, it's actually the 20th anniversary of The House of Leaves, came out in the year 2000. Wild. And, you know, I really think that it has, it's one of these sea changes. I feel like that this is a book that became really popular and a lot of people were like, "Ooh, you can do that." Yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, and you had never read it before, right? No, I've never read I had never read this book. And it, but it's one of these books that um I think I bought one of the first times I ever went to unnameable books. And so I've just been moving this enormous. It's the cuz it's the full color hardcover reissue. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's actually the list price on the cover is $50, which is just like, damn, that is, I mean, I know it's a big, like hefty book with a lot in it, but 50 bucks is, um, is a tall order for some people. Particularly in 2000. 
Yeah, that's a... that's a spicy. <laughs> hey, speaking um, of spice, before oh, we get yeah. too deep into this, oh, let's yeah. talk about the pumpkin spice that you put into this cocktail. So it's you had some business in the city, so you did get to grab a little uh, vial of this. I'm calling it the, um, the book lost, um, which is sort of like, the, I feel like it's a feeling where you're, you're so deep into a book that everything actually truly melts away. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I was sort of thinking about. And, and the House of Leaves had, had moments like this where it's just, you're completely engrossed. Um, yeah, totally. And so I wanted a drink that tasted like that. And so, <laughs> of course, I started at bourbon. And uh, in a nod to the season, I also had some cold-pressed uh, apple juice Ooh, from Hunky Dory um, down the block. And also, I made my own pumpkin pie spice syrup. And it actually has a third of a cup of pumpkin in it. Um, and you know a lot of cloves and nice spices. We'll have the full uh, recipe linked on our website, somanydambooks.com, with in our episode notes. And so it's just a little bit of bourbon and those two things just stirred and poured over ice. And I don't know, I completely love it. It's great. It's you like get this tang always, from the apple. Yeah, you always want a good apple cider cocktail, and I feel like they're often. There's always like one good apple cider cocktail, but it's just kind of like a Manhattan with apple cider in it or something. Whereas this feels genuinely like a a different taste sensation. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how much, I mean, it tastes like a pumpkin spice flavor too, but it's not mm -hmm. overpowering. Mm -hmm. um, I really, I, I recommend making this syrup. It's also fantastic for making at-home lattes. Um, Ooh, nice. Yeah. So it's uh so that's the that's the book lost. Yum. That's a yeah. good one. I'm glad I'm really I uh, had a I, chance I, to get it from you. I recommend a um cinnamon stick swizzle <laughs> because with the pumpkin it it is a sort of a it does separate so you need something to keep stirring your drink so yeah. that you get all of the goodness in every sip. Um, all of the goodness in every sip. Uh-huh. What? Wasn't that a, it sounds like a, oh no, that's good to the last drop. <laughs> yeah, it's different. Best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Remember when Rockapella did that? Yeah. All right, well, this has been the late 90s, early <laughs> 2000s segment of the show. Well, and, and now we move into the book from the 2000s. Yes. Uh, but not quite, because it's actually what you buy. Oh, yeah. What did you buy, Drew? I, so I love a good subscription service. Me too. But I have not signed up for one in a while because frankly, um, this show functions as a kind of subscription service in that we get lots of books. We do get uh, lots and lots of books. And so it's hard, it's, you know, it's hard. We're getting things early. Um, we're able to ask for things. It's hard to like sign up for a thing where you know you're going to get a book that's come out like six weeks ago 
in the mail and it's like, okay, but what if I got it six months before it came out kind of thing? Um, yeah, everybody feels so bad for us right now. I know it's real. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah. uh, wonderfully, there's a subscription service called Nightworms that I've Ugh. followed them on. Yeah, I followed them on Instagram for a while and have been eager to someday get a box because I want to, you know, actually get one and see what it's like. And their October box, I actually, it like went up for sale uh, in September, like right when I was moving. And so I totally missed it because I would have, I would have jumped for it anyway. And they announced that there were a couple of boxes that they had left over and they put them up on sale like oh. two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I was very stoked. It comes in like a cool black uh, padded mailer with a spooky skull wormy logo on it. The, it had two books, both of them with signed book plates. Um, the new Jeremy Robert Johnson novel, The Loop, which oh. has like a, um, it's like Stranger Things meets Twin Peaks or something is the blurb that I heard. And I was like, I love both of those things. Okay. Uh, and then a reissue of a horror novel that I have been dying to read for years. And it's been out of print for a long time. Um, by Kathy Koja, The Cipher. Uh, and all I know about that is that similarly to House of Leaves in a way, there's like some sort of weird black pit that opens up in somebody's apartment or something. I don't know. It sounds absolutely horrifying. Everybody I know who's read it has said that it's one of the scariest books they've ever read. Um, but so it's those. They came with signed book plates, some cool stickers, some cool bookmarks and a little single serving thing of coffee from Pioneer Joe Coffee that it's like a single serving pour over thing. I don't know oh, if you've ever cool. seen Oh, cool. Yeah, one. yeah. I've seen those. They Where you like open it and it dips over this. Very cool. I, I love, love a neat little piece of technology like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got. I'm excited about both of those books. I might try to get to them before the end of the month, but running out of time you know yeah yeah always running out of time how about you what'd you buy well um i've had this book on my to buy list for so long um back in college there was this website um add-on it was one of the very first like browser add-ons that i was ever aware of and it was called stumble upon and you would click sure. it and like people submitted and tagged like really cool websites and you know you would find really strange GeoCities things and I don't know, all sorts of strange um, corners of the internet that you might not have been aware of. And one of the pages that I came across was this person's archive and attempted translation of this book called The Codex Seraphinianus. Um, it was originally published in 1981. Um, by an artist named Luigi Serafini. And it is written in what appears to be a writing system, but as you go through it, you realize the whole thing is an encyclopedia of a place that's never existed. Whoa. And so the, the website had this, you know, had some very bad um, scans that loaded very slowly because it was 2006. Um, 
And ever since, it's something that's captured my imagination. And, and uh, you know, I've seen copies for sale and various things at, for like $650 or like $2,000 because it was signed by him and in like a special two-volume version or something. Wow. Um, but Rizzoli has recently reissued it. And it's much more affordable. <laughs> and um, I celebrated a recent uh, success of mine by buying it because I've been meaning to buy it forever. Cool. And oh, I'm so excited to finally own this book. It's incredible just to flip through. I just like put it down, like cleaned the table and put it down <laughs> on the table and flipped through the first five pages. And I immediately got that feeling, that same feeling in my chest that I got during like those that late night stumble upon uh, button pressing where I suddenly stumbled upon something incredible and wanted to go down the rabbit hole with it. That's awesome. So that's very exciting. I just bought that. Um, I also got uh, in the mail uh, XX by Ryan Hughes. And so he's a graphic designer and this is a very like the form text is, mm -hmm. Um, influences the story about, I guess, interstellar first contact, you know, oh, uh, just neat. a first contact story. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, it's enormous. And I also got, um, I think from Catapult, uh, Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler. Oh, yeah. One of my most about. anticipated for 2021. Yeah, it comes out in February 2021, and it's about um, this woman who discovers that her boyfriend is an anonymous internet conspiracy theorist and a very, very popular one. <laughs> um, and so I'm real. I don't know anything else other than that. I like. There's more even to the description. I haven't read it because I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. I'm sold. I want to know more about fake accounts. Yeah, because I can account. already like that. Just sends my mind. Because like, what would you do? You find out that, you know, that it's such a good. That your premise. partner is Q. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh. 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 Side note, Ooh. there's a really great episode of Reply All, the Gimlet show, that uh, talks to the guy who founded 4chan and 8chan mm -hmm. about, and they're like, pretty sure they know who, who Q is. And it's a very compelling breakdown of like, yeah, it's just this fucking guy. I mean, because obviously, of course it is. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate everything about that. Yeah. I but... even, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I don't want to read your Q novel, folks. No. Somebody's, people are going to do it. I don't. It's, it's like, maybe not, you know? Yeah, I just think the truth is stranger than fiction here. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this novel is sort of like Q adjacent. It seems like it might be. Um, but I do like the idea instead of following the Q person, you're following mm -hmm. the wife of a Q person or the yeah. girlfriend of a Q person who's just like, the heck are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God, I don't want the like, you know, the like Dan Brown novel. That's basically what, oh my God, I just realized that's what the Q drops are. It's like following a Dan Brown novel. Woof. Why do you think people like it so much? Yeah. Every chapter is two pages long and ends in a cliffhanger. One thing that I do love are the um, things that are coming out now. Like I was a QAnon cult believer and now I'm not. Like those, all of those tales about how they got sucked in and came back out. They're all hitting like right now too in a... 
I mean, obviously timed on purpose, but when you think about that versus this book, you see what this book is sort of playing with. Oh, yeah. The obsession of text. Yeah, I mean, not only the obsession of text, but sort of the... Um... All right, well, okay. For anybody out there who has not heard of House of Leaves, and I, there may be some of you, I would be yeah. surprised. This is one of those books that sort of has a mythos around it. Mm-hmm. Even if you've never read it or seen it, there's like, it's one of those books where the name and the idea has permutated popular culture to the point that that movie, the adaptation of the Daniel... Kelman book, You Should Have Left, um, the film adaptation starring Kevin Bacon that is apparently has nothing to do with the novel it's based on, really. Um, mm. I saw the trailer for it, and there's a moment where they like, hey, look, the house is bigger on the inside than it is on the and they have like a tape measure. And I was like, I've, yep, 20 years later, here we are. It's just like shorthand in popular culture for something's wrong, you know? Yeah, that's sort of the and and that's that's the logline for the book. Yeah. Is the House of Leaves is a house that is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside and you're following basically two threads, although yes. there's more threads if you'd like to. Yeah. Um but the two threads that you're following are the text of the not the the Davidson record right which is like a long form journalistic piece of nonfiction academic yeah piece of nonfiction about a um about a documentary that was filmed by a pulitzer prize winning photographer about this house that he moved into with his family that is bigger on the inside but not in a fun tardis way and then you're also following the guy who finds the like raw document and in putting the document together and finding the clues he sort of is loses whatever grip on sanity that he had before he found it and he's sort of already a druggy stoner dropout type of guy so you kind of feel like took a feather to push this guy <laughs> over the edge. He was already at the end of his rope in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and so those are the two warring at sometimes um, mm-hmm. narratives, and it's told through all sorts of textual and metatextual experiments. Yeah, I mean, it's really, not only is it one of those books that you, uh, there are different, editions even that have some of them are only in black and white if you have the full color edition it's like certain words are printed uh, the word house is printed in blue anything mm-hmm. relating to minotaur is struck through with red mm-hmm. um you know the you have to turn the book around there's stuff that's mirrored there are things that are inset inside of other things it's so i was showing um my wife a a page from the book and saying like, this is what I'm reading right now. And she's like, yeah, it looks like the Talmud. And I had never actually <laughs> looked at what, what the Talmud is like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it totally does. It, it, I mean, the way that you read like their arguments is sort of this snail um, shape. Yeah. Page. And so um, when I finished reading the book, I'm like, really, this book is, if someone got really interested in the Talmud 
and Poltergeist. <laughs> huh? Then it has a very this book. Spielberg-y thing to it. Well, and I mean, there's he even there's a lot of meta text in this book, um, and one of the things that he talks about is a uh, influence of the filmmaker in the book is Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. And um, when you watch Poltergeist, which I did for the first time last night, um, you really get a sense of, oh, wow, this is straight up the like bare bones of the plot of this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there's a haunted space in a house. You don't want to go in there. You don't know how you'll get out. You'll hear the voices as you go around the house. There's a whole part of that. And I want to say also, we've been sort of alighting spoilers, I think, but I don't think we can really. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I feel like the 20-year statute of limitations. If you are planning to read House of Leaves soon and you never have, you can come back to this episode later. But, you know, sorry. I I don't think, yeah. I don't think us talking about it either also takes away from a lot of the discovery of the book. If anything, I think talking about the book and knowing a little bit of what you're getting into is helpful. Like this book, Mm -hmm. when I first read it, um, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was, I would say, at least 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Like definitely early college. And it, it came recommended to me by a couple of people who gave me a little bit of context in a, in a, like, I mean, it's the way that the book is even talked about. Like the jacket blurb is like when it was first passed around as a sheaf of papers (laughs) between like Rocky rock stars and drug addicts or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like how much of this is legend? How much is truth? I got a little bit of like the urban legendiness of it Mm -hmm. from like being in a underage in a bar in Boston and somebody being like, dude, you know a book, if you like Halloween and spooky ship, you know a book you need to read? <laughs> House of Leaves. And I'm like, what is this House of Leaves? And they're like, look, I can't tell you too much about it, man. You just have to experience it. Yeah. And that like whole, that whole thing, you know? Yeah, I, I similarly had a, had a friend in, in college who had read it and was just, um, we were in his dorm room and he pulled it out to be like, Oh, you you dig this. And he showed me a couple of the crazier pages because there's, you know, um, Danielewski really plays with space and white space and mm-hmm. color, of course, and margins and everything a lot. Um, I mean, it's his whole, and it's, it's refreshing in some ways to see the way that he has continued to do that. Everything he's ever published is meticulously designed. Mm-hmm. I think that I've talked to you about this theory before, this, this pet theory of mine that a lot of books are actually the story of the writing of that book. Uh-huh. And like the conflict is actually the conflict between the writer telling the story and, or what, what they were grappling with. Um, House of Leaves feels like that writ large. Like there's so much about this that to me feels like he had this crazy document and he was going to tell this story. And he was like, how can I get the old man who originally wrote this, the Navidson record? uh, Zampano. Yeah. Yeah. How can I get him on the page and Johnny Truen on the page? How can I go between them? Is there, you know, and then looked back at his insane, like 
you know, Pepe Sylvia moment <laughs> and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh-huh. Maybe I don't have to actually gel this all together. Maybe the negative space of the story will be filled in by the reader. Yeah. And so it puts you in this game mindset. Yeah, there is something, there is a a feeling of a puzzle and wanting to figure it out and how, like, what, what is the, what is the way to read the book? Do you read each section independently? Do you read each footnote and then jump back? Are you jumping ahead to the appendices that are sometimes referenced? Or are you waiting until the end to look at the appendices? What does it mean that some of the things that are listed in the appendices are not in fact present mm-hmm. there's like it, it does become a um even you are engaged no matter what you know yeah well it's it's really interesting too because um i was joking about this at our um patreon hang uh-huh. uh, the other day that like i didn't know how far i'd actually read in this book because <laughs> i um I, I was reading this and reading each footnote uh-huh and then if a footnote said, like, see a future chapter, I read that future chapter and then came back. Cool. So oh, I, so you really, like, you did the you did the linear the linear progression. As close as I could, yes. I think cool. I, mean, I read everything as it was referenced. That's what I did the first time I read it, too. And it was exciting and also really difficult because there's points where, you know, deliberately the footnote isn't contained on that page it's on the next page or there is there you're missing a um a heading you're missing the footnote mm-hmm. uh notation yeah so you're looking and you're like wait did i miss one where is that up there and then luckily there's some scholarship that remains online where if you search like house of leaves um footnote page whatever there's some reddit thread that's like i couldn't find it and it's like you're not supposed to and you know but yeah th- it's sad kind of coming to this 20 years on because it's pretty clear to me that on Danielewski's website, he used to have like a pretty robust mm-hmm. guide, but all of those references are now dead. Like some of the th- yep. forum remains, but if you click anybody's like, oh, I figured this out, check this thread out. All of those links don't work. Yeah, it's a very sad um, like 21st century problem of the internet has upgraded and unfortunately all of these like internet 1.0 well internet 2.0 things that you know were so fun to be a part of the house of lees stuff the like nine inch nails year zero alternate reality game like all of those links are dead now because somebody Mm. stopped paying the hosting fees sucks (laughs) or it looks in this case that he moved his forum Mm -hmm. so it just killed those links yeah which is it's just a it's just a big bummer um i i love this type of book i i they capture my imagination every single time the word for it is ergodic literature e-r-g-o-d-i-c which is work that takes a a non-standard effort to read basically um and so like i always like to say that it's the hieroglyphs are a perfect example because you actually have to walk along the wall to read the book or read the story um 
but there's other versions of this too. Like um, one of one of my absolute favorite series ever is Nick Panta- Nick Bantock's Griffin and Sabine. Oh yeah trilogy and each of those it's also a story about a descent into madness mm-hmm. um, but they're actually letters and you actually have to take the letter out and read the whole story and some of the things are struck out and it's um very exciting in that way I, I don't know why that always gets me but I think that it's just sort of like finding the living document particularly when part it's of it done, when it's done well you yeah. know there are I mean, th- like, no disrespect to the immense imagination and talent that Mark Danielewski, uh has, but his, the familiar books that he started, which I recommended on the show ages ago after reading the first one and being like, holy shit, this is wild. He's doing a whole thing. I think, I mean, I started reading the second one, which came out maybe six months after the first one. Mm-hmm. and you know maybe if you read less than i do and you're able to retain what i just was completely lost i frankly was lost at the end of the first one because he had like nine different threads mm-hmm. they were all written in different formats and he was like yeah this my idea is that it's like a 27 episode tv series and i'm gonna do like seasons uh-huh. and he was like i'm going to do 3 seasons of 9 books or something and then pantheon was like yeah buddy these aren't these aren't selling the barrier to entry is a little high mm-hmm. um but it it's also just like not as successful and then there are these books like i remember when you recommended to me the griffin and sabine books but mm-hmm. also um one of my favorite like cult texts of all time is stephen hall's the raw shark texts Mm-hmm. Um, he actually has a new book coming out in the UK in February called Maxwell's Demon. Who knows when it's going to get a US publication. But the Raw Shark Texts takes some of the like spiritual energy of House of Leaves, but reduces the, the ergodic thing to like, a sh- like, it's like Jaws, but in a book. Like mm. you'll turn a page and then there's a fucking shark made out of text on the page. It's terrifying. <laughs> um, and like when it when it's done well, it is. It's the the closest that like a book, the ugh, this I, I don't want to say something that I'm gonna regret. But it's kind of the closest that a book gets to doing like what a 3D movie can do. Mm, okay. It's tough. It's tough to compare those things because, and they shouldn't be compared because they're trying to do very different things. It's like it's the two, the maybe it's the farthest poles kind of thing. Like those two things really are the farthest that you can go with the form, mm-hmm. I guess. Like the the purest sense of like what this medium can do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I was thinking all the time of because it was compared so deeply to House of Leaves when it came out, but Doug Dorst and J.J. Abrams S. Oh, absolutely. Um, which is has so much in common where it's, you know, dueling narratives of the actual narrative versus the people that are studying it mm-hmm. and having conversations with each other in the margins. Um it's very exciting in that way. And S worked for me for a really long time. I, I really, I really fell for it, but it also, 
if it doesn't work, boy, are you unsatisfied with yes. uh, with the whole thing? Because it's just it's one of these things where it because it takes this you know non standard reading effort takes more than just already, and it's already the barrier of entry to reading anything right now <laughs> is high. You know, like I I feel like I get. I've got gotten sort of Pavlovian about like a New York Times notification. Uh I'm just like cringing already because I'm just like, what horrible thing has befallen us now? Yeah. So reading something like S or House of Leaves or any of this stuff, it's like, can you just tell me a story? Can you like, I don't, I don't want. So I can see how if you're in the wrong mood or this doesn't interest you at all it will never it won't pull you in because it keeps you at an arm's length to the point of i don't know there's all these people in house of leaves forums and in the goodreads reviews of the book (laughs) that are saying like this is the scariest book i've ever read and i wish i had that connection to it because to me it, it always kept me at an arm's length and never quite i was never quite scared of the closet space as i think i was supposed to be yeah i mean were, it's were you scared of it no i've it, this book has affected my subconscious in ways mm-hmm. like i remember the first time i read it and then just rereading it now both times it gave me uh for lack of a better term weird house dreams okay like i had a dream actually you were in it um that i was at my parents house and the basement had turned into this like sort of weird uh, blank gray space. And then it turned, oh, it was sort of like a House of Leaves meets Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Oh. Hear me out. <laughs> it, it's like this pop-up restaurant. Shit, maybe I shouldn't say this because this is actually like a good story to write, but it's yeah. this pop-up restaurant that like phases into existence in a weird random place. Okay. And you get like a couple of hours of notice essentially. So I was there and I was like, oh shit, the restaurant is here. <laughs> the restaurant. I and then like, you needed to call it that. Yeah, like three couples showed up and I called you and I was like, you gotta get over here real fast. And like you came running and I was like, so far, man, there's only three two tops. And that's when I woke up. So this is this is a recent inspiration. This is like like okay, four what nights about ago. The first time that you read it. Did you, were you scared of it then? I think I was, I was reading it in the house that I grew up in, which is a rambling 1876 Victorian and has some spooky aspects to it. Um, but I think because, because I was already used to weird architecture and mm. like the, the possibilities of a house I feel like I wanted to be scared and wasn't. Mm. I had dreams about like long hallways. And I do think that the image of, I think that there's honestly nothing scarier than the first, the first image of the house, the five and a half minute hallway. Mm -hmm. This idea that, okay, suddenly like they send the camera outside and then it comes back in and you see that there's like this weird discrepancy, this door and going down that hallway and coming back 
that to me is the thing that's the scariest. And the fact that it never gets scarier than that, even though they go in and like people go mad and it's all sorts of weird, spooky stuff. That was the thing that captured me. Mm -hmm. Like the small, the grit of sand, not the pearl. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that is the pearl though. Sure. It's those moments. Um, yes. I was I was thinking about because I've just read it so recently. Um, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which I think is I'm going to read that next. Honestly, for that for exactly this, um, because it's about an endless space that doesn't exist through any physics that we understand, and someone's trying to document it and understand it. But you know, for House of Leaves, it's endless darkness, and for Piranesi, it's insane sculpture right um and so like i was almost sad that the house didn't have more than infinite density yeah it was weird coming back to the book my recollections of the house in particular because also i i felt this way the first time i read it but i was more forgiving of it mm -hmm. the navidson record is the thing that keeps me coming back to this book like, I, I don't think that Johnny Truant, the guy who finds the manuscript and is, like, editing it together, I don't think that his narrative has aged terribly well. No, it's aged very poorly, in fact. Yeah. Um, but, like, the story of the house, like, the documentary is the thing, the kernel of this story that keeps me coming back to it. But I remembered things that were not in the book. Like, I, I thought that there were statuaries and a couple of other weird things that now I'm realizing have come out of other books that have been published in the last 20 years that I kind of wonder if they were in some way indebted to House of Leaves. Well, it does feel like a key text. It really does. The whole time that you're reading it, you're like, oh, I see where a lot of people got this thing. Or I also, you know, just like the Poltergeist thing, I see where he got some things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's exciting to, to see where where it comes from and, and also sort of the the landscape that it was part of you know because it feels like it does feel sort of like infinite jest actually um in a lot of ways but if it was even more because infinite jest is also about a film that exists it's about people trying to get the film and watch it um, it's also full of textual experiments and mm -hmm. footnotes, but it's like, what if I broke that even further? Yeah. Um, oh, this feels like the immediate descendant of Infinite Jest in a way. There's a moment also, and I'm curious how you, how this read to you, where uh, Navidson is in the house, he's in the space, and he starts to pull out the book, The House of Leaves. Uh-huh. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to feel. Um, I didn't yeah, know that, how like, I was supposed to take that. Well, because it's also, it's not this book is the weird thing that it, like, it's some other novel. It's a, a, like the way that it's described, at least to me, I perceived it as a more traditional text that, Although it says it's 736 pages long, which is which the is, length of the, yeah, yeah I don't know. There's like, I, it, it makes sense to me that A, um, on the 
on the far end of my academic career, I look back and I'm like, oh, right. This is like, it's an academic text and it's teasing or even making fun of academic texts. And it's very funny in that way. I mean, there's so many points where he's actually, where he's making fun of Academy and he's making fun of the way that we talk about things. Yeah. And um, there's this like, the idea that there's just so many essays written about this film is so mm-hmm. is just funny. Oh my god! In like every possible publication, yeah. here's the one in GQ. Here's the one in the New Yorker. Here's another one in the New Yorker. Here's the one in the Wall Street Journal. Here's the one in Mademoiselle. It's like okay, <laughs> here's the Random House publication of essays that were inspired, but you know, <laughs> um, but it's like so. There's that. There's the ways in which he's created this whole thing Mm -hmm. this alternate universe i guess yeah it's definitely an alternate universe and it's an exciting one you know like stephen king exists in that universe and right and he's actually part of the text but then there's also like there are these moments where he uh, and i i wonder why he does it because it's not just when davidson pulls out this book that he's been this 736 page book that he's been carrying called house of leaves there are other moments where it feels like, I don't know, it's like the narrator turning and looking to the camera. There's like a, a real moment of Danielewski being like, still with like, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's a Twilight Zone thing. It's like Rod Sterling walking out and being like, can you believe that shit? And you're like, wow, <laughs> what? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know this was a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I love that. I've been watching some old Twilight Zone recently, and um, I love when Rod Serling is suddenly there. Yeah. Like he, they just turn and he's like, "Oh, he's been at the desk this whole time." Would you ever read another Danielewski book, knowing that it requires this much? Because I don't, I don't think it's a slouch against him to say no. So I think there's five volumes of the familiar that came out yeah before uh, it got canceled and it's very very they're very thick they're very involved and i love flipping through them but the price of admission is so high um i remember trying to read only revolutions which is the immediate follow-up mm-hmm. and it's much shorter it's, it's but it's even more like you have to read half of it in a mirror um so i don't know i i, I would I watch what he does because I love his commitment to his vision. Um, And I will continue loving what he does in that respect. Um, But that doesn't mean that I'm going to actually sit down and read any of his books, but I will never stop reading stuff that plays with footnotes. And I don't know, I guess it's some, it's actually a um, extension of like that 19th century novel thing of like you have to explain why you're reading the book Uh uh-huh you know like how did i find robinson crusoe's you know diary (laughs) it's very important or like the turning of the screw has that very big like frame story about why you're reading the turning of the screw so yeah i think that i love that stuff and i will never stop so those those will keep me keep me going i mean i have xx i have uh, raw shark tech uh, on my shelf and i've got others because this is just like a form that always interests me what about you or are you are you ready to 
keep reading these types of books? I haven't read only revolutions. Um, I did read the 50 year sword, uh, which is more of like a novella slash poem mm-hmm. that that really worked for me because it is meant to be oral. It's essentially like the, um, the ergodic thing about it, like other than things being paged, we are set very strangely on the page is that the quotation marks are in different colored yarn. And that tells you like who is speaking at what point. Hmm. And there's actually sewn. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's like it was sewn and then photographed kind of thing. It's not actually in the, um, or at least not in the mass produced Pantheon version, Mm. but that to me, it feels like I I would, and I think it has been done before. I would love to see that as like a midnight reading at Halloween with five actors reading Uh, each of those voice lines kind of thing. But yeah, I, I also, I love this stuff and I keep, I keep kind of chasing that high of the first time you go into a book like this or like S or the raw shark texts where it, there is really a like, Oh, I'm seeing something completely new. Right. Well, and it's, it's tickling a part of my brain that isn't necessarily just like reading a story. Mm-hmm. There's that extra effort puts you deeper. I mean, puts you lost in the book even deeper. The House of Leaves is like the story of him writing the book because there's the whole like staircase being deeper. Mm-hmm. Like you never know how far how far down you're going to have to go to continue your story. Yeah. On the first season of Thresholds, when Jordan Kisner was talking to Carmen Maria Machado mm-hmm. about In the Dream House, Carmen was essentially like, yeah, the book nearly killed me. Like the, the, my threshold is the literal writing of the book. And it made me think about exactly the thing you're talking about of when you can see it, whether you realize it while you're reading it or somebody tells you afterwards and you kind of are like, oh my God, that like when it is tangible, when the map is the territory a little bit, it's a very cool experience. You can elide the Johnny Truant stuff if it's not <laughs> if it's not um, singing to you. You can read the book however you want. How rare is that? Like it's a full fulfilling experience just to read the Navison record or just to read the Johnny Truant stuff. Like you could do either. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole collection of poetry to read at the end that like has very oh my, little. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I did. <laughs> I did not reread the poem. <laughs> oh golly let's recommend other stuff we read some pretty cool books we recommend you take a look yeah oh you go well friends it's the spooky season uh it's october it's been the spooky season basically all year i think we all know that but I have still managed to read only spooky books this October or spook-jacent books. Um, And I have two for you. One is one of the best horror novels I have read in a long time, and not just because it is set in literally my backyard. 
Uh, it's a novel called The Fisherman by John Langan. It um, sort of like we were talking about earlier, that 19th century framing of the story within the story. Mm-hmm. He does that and then also manages to make the frame story also terrifying. It's not just like, we were sitting around the fire and I told a spooky story and now here's my spooky story. It's like these two guys, um, both of whom have lost loved ones um, and are sort of grappling with that grief. They both work at the IBM plant in Poughkeepsie together. They start fishing together and kind of, you know, there's some um, not toxic masculinity, but like the trappings of it in the ways in which men can't talk to one another about their feelings, but they're sort of like using each other as a little bit of a life preserver during a rough time. They're trying to find this one stream. They go into this bar one morning or like a roadhouse kind of thing that also serves breakfast. I guess, I guess you call it a diner. Okay. The guy at the diner, like the owner of the diner is like, I'm going to tell you why you should turn around and go home. And then it's, the middle half of the book. So it's like a quarter of the book, half of the book, final quarter of the book. That middle half of the book is this story about um, some cosmic horror shit that happens during the building of the Ashokan Reservoir. Mm. And you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, whoa, that was scary. Okay. And then these guys leave and they're like, all right, so we're going to that river, huh? And you're like, <laughs> oh no. Um, Okay. Really, it's really, really, really terrific. I've never quite read anything like it. I loved it. Um, and if you read it, reach out to me and I'll go take some pictures of some of the local sites so that you can really see what it's like to get off of Route uh, 28 and go to the Ashokan Reservoir. Um, Give Drew homework. Yes. Um, the other book is a new one. Uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. We've both talked about it a couple of times, I think during What'd You Buy segments. We both really loved the 10,000 Doors of January. This is everything that I always want a second novel to be. It's like, it's more ambitious. It's a little bit messier. It's angrier. It's like, it's just all of the passion and like, let's swing for the fences. It's like that Empire Strikes Back. Like, let's get everything bigger and go for it. It's... um set during the beginnings of the suffrage movement in this country, or the, the wind-up of the suffrage movement in like the late 1890s. Um, and this idea that witchcraft has not been present in the country. And these three young women, these sisters, um, set about essentially to like, yeah, we don't just want the vote. We want witchcraft so we can fuck you assholes up Mm. it's great it is a very good book to read this week in particular as we head up to the election it will keep the fires burning if you know what i mean nice how about you uh so i've just been reading for house of leaves since the last time (laughs) that we talked um other than that though I've been watching horror movies for like the first time in oh, my yeah. life. Uh, I mean, I've seen I've seen some of the horror movies. You know, I've, I saw The Shining and it really affected me. It changed a lot of the ways that I think about horror and why I go to the movies. Um, 
And I've seen some other ones too here and there, but I've missed a lot of them because I've always taken the tact that I don't, I'm scared a lot anyway. I don't need to do that in the movies. <laughs> um, I'm a stressed person anyway. I don't need to get extra stressed by a movie. Um, <laughs> but I guess I've been wanting to just feel something, uh-huh. anything at all. Sure. I, I, and so I was like, okay, I need to, I need to start at the right place. And I put this Twitter poll up, um, Rosemary's baby versus psycho. What should I watch? What should we watch tonight? And when it was over, I had like 15 votes and 15 votes. It was exactly 50%. I was (laughs) like, well, thank you very much. Internet. It was not helpful at all. And then our good friend, Benjamin Dreyer Uh shows up in the comments and he's just like, watch Rosemary's baby. It's yeah. a better movie. And he's correct. <laughs> yes, he is correct. The movie was amazing. And sort of like the, the joke of the Navidson record having like the, all of this scholarship involved with it. Oh my God, is there just like an incredible amount of ink spilled about Rosemary's Baby? Um, there's just so much stuff around it you can read. And um, mm-hmm. someone, is, someone did a beautiful website of, all a great collection of the um, making of stills and stuff Mm -hmm. and Rosemary's baby. It just, it's not scary, not really, but it just stayed in my head to the point where I actually like had a dream where I, my wife and I went to like a class on how to resist the devil. (laughs) And then I watched psycho because, you know, and it's, and it's good, but it's not as good as Rosemary's Baby was. Like, it was, like, sumptuous. It was, like, a tapestry. Yeah. And Psycho, is, it feels like it was just, like, really, really, um, you know, revolutionary at the time. And we have since, like, taken a lot of things from that. Mm-hmm. Big time. And then the, uh, the other one, that, the, the trilogy, uh, I, it was Carrie, the original. Oh, you finally Carrie. watched it? Okay. And it was just fantastic. It was I told so, you, right? so the, good. Do you know the moment I was talking about that one jump scare? Yeah. The true jump scare that every fucking time I jump out of my seat. Yeah. Terrifying. <sighs> that, it, it's the only scary part of the movie. It's the only scary part of the movie. It's like Brian De Palma at the end, like turned in the final cut and everybody's like, uh, it's supposed to be a horror movie. And he was like, oh, okay. Hang on. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've, oh, I got one idea. Yeah. All of these movies, not scary, um, but thought-provoking. Good Halloween movies. Yeah, so I recommend very, very, very highly, 10 out of 10 watch Rosemary's Baby. Uh, also, like 9 out of 10 Carrie and Psycho is really good, but turn it off before the really annoying psychiatrist person is like standing up, like walking up and down, and he's like, you know what happened here? <laughs> Are you going to watch any more spooky movies? Yeah, I think so. I think I've like like broken the seal now and I want to watch some like bad recent ones that aren't necessarily Have you ever but... seen Did you see Signs? Yeah. Okay. That's one of my favorite scary movies of all time. That movie still scares the daylights out of me and I turn it off when they come up out of the basement. <laughs> That's perfect ending. So that's the episode, I guess. That's the episode. Um, if you're listening to it the week that it's come out, which from our stats, it seems like most of you are, don't forget to vote. Yeah, please vote. 
Vote, 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 vote. Our call to action this week. Yes. Vote. Just go vote. Um, and, well, usually when I say this at the end of October, it's just meant in sort of the fun, spooky way, but see you on the other side. Ooh. Ah! <laughs>